Hey, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top End Devs and Envoy. Top End Devs is where we create top end devs who get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Unvoid, which offers remote design and web development services with specialization in Angular for companies that truly care about quality. Jose Ignacio Santa Cruz, aka Santa, is our guest for today. And he wrote a recent article about his experience upgrading an enterprise app to Angular 16. So that's what we are going to talk about today. Mainly, is it worth it? So we all know that enterprise apps have a lot of complications and Angular 16, although wasn't released yesterday, still pretty recent. So the main question is going to be, is it worth it? And what are the most common pitfalls you're going to have to be aware of if you decide to go down that path? My name is Lucas Paganini. I am the CEO of Envoid and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is Armin Vardanian. Hey, everyone. Nice to be back for another episode. Subrat Mishra. Hello, everyone. And Santa, Jose Ignacio Santa Cruz. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy to have all of you here. And Jose, so let's get started. So why don't you first tell us um, the main question, which is, how hard would it be for somebody to upgrade an Angular, uh, an enterprise application to Angular 16 nowadays? And also, how much easier it would be if we just waited like six months? Or, or maybe even a better question, how long do you think we should wait for this to actually become extremely easy? Okay, well, it's, it's not a simple question to answer, but let, let me try. Um, how hard it is to update an Angular, uh, an, an existing enterprise Angular application? It will mostly depend on the Angular version that this application is running. For example, if, this, if the application is running... Um, let's say, an old version of Angular. Let's say, for example, Angular 13. Migrating to, to Angular 16 may be a little difficult because there are, there are many things that were deprecated on the libraries. There are many um, advised practices that most Angular 13 applications do not apply. And um, the other thing is the libraries that this application may be, may be using. And, and, and here, here we have the link with the, with the other question that how difficult will it be to upgrade? For example, if, if this enterprise application is using some legacy libraries, or let's say a library that that was created for Angular 9 or even even older uh, versions, but the code is actually right. 
in in the in the enterprise application I tried to make this up, this update. We are using um, a library that's called Test Text Mask, and well, it's it, it that's um, you have a, a form, and in the inputs you place a directive with some defined text mask, and uh, the test text is masked accordingly. And the library uh, is not supported by by Angular 16, and this is because um, this um, this library was created um, using Vue Engine, and now Angular 16 um, throw the Vue Engine to the garbage and only supports Ivy. So. Lots of warnings, lots of lots, lots of a hey, this this library is not supported. What can you do? Let's check the code. And as we are using open source libraries, the code is available. We looked at it and there's no problem with the code. So if the code's not wrong, what is wrong with it? With the library itself, and those are the the dependencies declared on the package JSON. This library was created with a with an old Angular version, and it's not 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 supported anymore. <clears throat> Even in those cases, there is a, a dirty workaround right, that I have used in the past when I needed to upgrade an Angular version and there was a dependency that was misbehaving. And when I say misbehaving, it's like, I actually need to replace this dependency later, but I don't want to do it now because uh, for whatever reason, we need to deliver the Angular upgrade as soon as possible. So one option, assuming that the library is open sourced, and I'm assuming that most of the libraries that we are going to be using as developers are open sourced. And if they aren't, then they probably should be updated uh, because there is a company getting money and and updating it. But if they are open sourced, then you can, in most cases, just port the source code from the library to your source code. And then you're going to build it as if it were your source code, not an external code. And then it works because it will be building using the current version of Angular that you are using. So it's a very dirty workaround because you are uh, copy and pasting source code from another library into your source code. And even in terms of ESLint, things just get terrible. It's like you open it up and there's a, you are drowning into red lines because everything is uh, not complying with your particular uh, style conventions. But other than that, it's fine because it works. And then you can deal with this later. So this is a strategy that I have employed in the past when I really needed to upgrade an Angular version quickly and deal with the, with the misbehaving dependencies later. 
Is that also something that could be used here or in this particular case, as you were saying, um, it, it was using something that was completely removed? So I'm guessing that if you just copy and paste the code, it still probably wouldn't work, right? You would have to actually make changes to the source code of the library or not. Uh, well, that actually works, at least for this library. But there are some libraries that use um, Angular internals. And by internals, I mean that they're using some libraries that have this strange character uh, starting strings for the names. And those those libraries are not really meant to be used by... Theta? By, yeah. The theta things. Yeah, it's the, it's the Greek Theta. Theta? Theta. I don't know. I, I, my Greek friends, how it's pronounced. <laughs> but, yeah. But is it possible to use them? So, in, in certain cases, you can. Ah. But, but there are, but if if the angle if the next angular version does any modifications that that can affect those internal libraries, um, things will stop working plainly. So, so and that that that's a a, re, a real pain when developing. Uh, or trying to upgrade uh, an Angular version that that is using legacy libraries, or not legacy libraries, but uh, libraries built over old or too old Angular versions. Yeah. I think here, uh, yeah, okay. sorry, sorry. go ahead. Yeah. What I was saying is here is I think uh, is a crucial part of software development comes into the picture, like. Like we just go ahead and blindly select a library which, which is open source, not checking uh, how the library behave, what what are the supports. For for example, mm, it's little off topic from Angular. Like if you go and check Express, it's not uh, supported now from long. So that's why people are move, moving to Firstify, and that's the reason like how why you should select which library. But if it is already done from from past, and like that, uh, what you have explained, one one the best approach I can think of, like just go ahead and update that library, create a Git repository and use uh, as a Git repository for npm, and it should work for you. But it's better to get rid of the library if you have time and uh, money to do that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the, this I this one thing is coming to my mind. Like, not uh, not to be in hurry to develop and release the uh, thing to the client or to the world, and just use anything which is available in the open source w- without checking them. Just one note on that: I once got into a very weird discussion because. Uh, I was using a library in a code base that uh, I had created the library. Mm-hmm. So I have some public libraries published on NPM. And I knew exactly how it was built. So I knew it was safe to use. Um, but 
a colleague was arguing that we should remove that because it was using Angular internals. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And, it, and he was saying that he was debugging um, um, something and then he using the Chrome Dev tools, he was using the debugger statements and mm-hmm. stepping into to understand the code flow. And then at some point it landed in inside of my library code and he was able to see that it was uh, referencing Angular internal variables. So those variables starting with the Theta, yes, uh, with the Theta symbol. But actually, it the source code was not referencing those. It was injected there after the build process. So just one note, if in case you see uh, code from a library that you're using from one of your dependencies and it is referencing Angular internals, it doesn't necessarily mean that the library is unsafe and that you need to remove it because it's referencing Angular internals. Sometimes in the compilation process uh, of the library during Angular's ahead of time compilation, it injects those symbols in the final build and then you, you'll be able to see them there. But if you look at the library source code, it's not referencing them. So just a, a small note, because if we just tell people, hey, be aware of, the li- of how the library is doing things, if they're referencing Angular internals, then be careful. And I think this is really good advice, is just make sure that you're checking the source code. Uh, I wanted to uh, ask another question and uh, more about the scenario that Lucas said, like you can uh, copy paste the source code of the library if it's not a very big one. And it, if we can, and we, we can't do that, but if we do that, if we can take the code and put it into our project, uh, and it takes some effort, uh, would it really be more effort if we took that library, which is clearly not being maintained at this point because uh, it it doesn't upgrade with the version of Angular for what three years, Ivy no, no not three years, almost five years because Ivy came out in 2019, I believe, right? So it's almost it's four years and the library isn't being maintained. And if it is small enough that we can kind of copy-paste its source code uh, into our project and use it, would it make sense, would it be more effort if we just created a separate project and put that library code there with a newer version and fix the issues that may arise, the same issues that we would have in in our project, and then publish it separately? Uh, maybe if we are concerned about all, all these things, mentioning that the authors worked on this and we just ported it to use uh, after Angular 16, to use it without NGCC. What do you think about something like that? It's almost the same effort, in, in my opinion, because um, it, 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 may be, it may be easier to fork the project and start a, a project using using the latest Angular version or the current 
Angular version and take the code and and copy paste it on on this uh, brand new project and compile it using using the the current version in order to to avoid um, this IV is not supported in this library issues. And and that that will work. The the thing is that that in that case you should probably need to publish that library as a as a fork and keep the references for the for the old library just to to be um open source friendly. Yeah, um uh, you're right about that. I'm, I'm more into the, the thing that rather than starting and becoming a maintainer of this library now, because you have the, the actually working fork, I'm more like we don't touch the code as much as is it possible not to touch. And we kind of make a promise not to touch it. We don't change anything. Like I imagine if I would do something like that, I would take the readme file and just add a big red thing on top saying that you know this is the working fork of the original project and it works with angular whatever version you need and everything else is the same even the readme is the same so just read the readme and read the docs and they will stay the same of course this will only work with small projects i don't think like for example if god forbid ngrx stopped having any support no one could really Definitely not one person to take and make a working fork of it. But small things like the one that you mentioned, and there are lots of libraries like that, and lots of them are really useful and kind of popular. Uh, I remember I have seen some uh, some package that had an image cropper for Angular, uh, and it was and it had lots of downloads, like in in the in the hundred thousands something like that on, on NPM. And uh, I didn't even read his doc to understand it's very old because it was called ng2-something image cropper. So ng2 is like a convention where people just edit the letter, the, the number two when they came up with Angular library. So it's very possible it was started uh, well, like way back when we had Angular really version two. So yeah, for example, if such a community project stopped being supported and it's a singular finite thing, yeah, maybe then making such forks would make sense. I think that first, I don't agree that it is the same effort, um, but also I'm not saying that to discourage people from doing that because I think that if more people did that, it would be way, way, way better than everyone just copy and pasting the code into their own code base and nobody sharing what they have learned or the, the bugs that they have fixed. And, and also, if you fork, you can just PR into the original repository from your fork and then the owner of the original repository, this person may not be available to maintain the library, but if your PR is there sitting and working, then if it's an easy merge, then 
maybe you can actually get it to update the original library, which would be even better for the entire community. So that is great. The part that I don't agree that it's the same effort is the part about learning how the build and the publish process of the library work. If you're just copy and pasting the source code of the library into your own code base, then you ignore how it is built and how it is deployed. Uh, and when I say deployed, if we're talking about a library and talk about publishing to NPM or something like that, why do you ignore that? Because you don't need the library on NPM because you're just referencing from your, uh, your local source code. And you also don't need to understand the build process because you're going to use your own current code base build process to build the code. And that part, I, I think, to me at least, takes either the same time that it takes to update, to understand the problems of the library and make changes to the source code, or even more. <laughs> like in most cases, I would say that trying to understand how the build process and the publish process of an open source library works takes me way, way, way longer than just copying the source code and putting it into uh, my code base and, and having it there. So that part is the one that I think would be the hardest one. And I think it would take a lot of effort, but I think it would be extremely honorable and really good for the entire community if more people did that, or if they at least maybe you don't do the the don't understand the build and the publish process, you just do the fork, make changes to the source code, and that's it. But then, how do you know if it's working if you don't even know how to build? So you got to know how to to test it to make sure that it's actually working. So I think it's it's a lot more effort than. Oh, but there's also another angle to that. Uh, like if you are uh, publishing something or maybe posting PRs to upgrade, then you learn something. But when you copy paste some code into your project, then you are committing a war crime. <laughs> yeah, I think like it's a like I I will be uh like aligned with Lucas here. It might not be the same effort or. But it all boils down to how much uh, liberty we have. For a lot of projects, we don't have that much bandwidth. And also, we don't have that much money to, uh, to, to build a developer to do all, the, all those changes and all. If, if I'm saying if it is small projects, but if it is a big enterprise you're doing, and they can uh, raise a PR to fi fix the library, which which will benefit everyone else, then it makes sense to go that way. But uh, and whoever is listening now, if you are in a hurry to do do the things, fix it as quick as possible. Then I think the first way uh, will be the easier one, but it's the dirty one, of course. So I think uh, while we are discussing, we are negating some part of the user who are like just need to fix it tomorrow. <laughs> so. For them, going through a PR and everything is not possible. And but they, if uh, if you have bandwidth, fix it first, then go ahead and re raise a PR so that uh, everyone else will be benefited. And 
uh, your PR might help you later uh, on on your project. So that's the one, only one thing I would like to uh, focus on. Yeah. So in summary, I'm guessing it's like propose to the yeah. client or the company or whatever. And if you get them to accept, then great. And if they don't, you can also do that in your free time if yep. you if you want to contribute to the open source community. Um, and in terms of learning something new, yes, there's this aspect. Although I gotta say I'm a bit more skeptical about this because I, for one, is so, I am somebody that reads a lot, and still I haven't. I can't say that I have read most of the things that I think I should read, for example. And when I say that, I'm not talking about uh, reading every article on Medium or some crazy uh, impossible metric like this. Um, but I'm saying like, I use Node a lot. And I have been recently pushing myself into reading the entire documentation of Node.js. I have never read, I have read bits and pieces, but I have never stopped, seated, and read the entire raw API docs for Node.js. Uh, I have read the entire API docs for Angular like multiple times, and I try to reread it in, on every major version. But there are other things like that. For example, MongoDB, I use extensively. I have never read the entire API docs. It's not to say that I'm, I don't feel proficient in it, but like if I have to choose how I use my time in a way that is most effective to learn a new technology, if I want to learn more JavaScript, HTML, CSS, web technologies in general, I would rather binge read Mozilla Developer Network docs than trying to understand a particular open source library um, but yeah, that's just how I would tackle the problem of learning the most effective way. It's not to say that you that you don't learn something when you try to fix an open source library. You always do. And it's always significant, especially because you're actually doing something. So you fix that knowledge in your mind. I'm just saying that if maybe we don't know how much influence we have on the developers that are that are that are listening to us and maybe there's somebody in a junior or trying to get into the area and trying to figure out the best way to learn. I wouldn't say that trying to fix open source libraries is the best way to learn. I think that reading the official docs for the technologies that you plan on becoming proficient is the most efficient way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we, we went really off topic. Yes, <laughs> I, I think I, yeah, I, really took a detour on this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I would just I'd like to add one more thing. Uh, just bear with me, like, but by doing this way, they will learn like how to deal with others' mistake. Like, so we, uh, if you if you learn just read the docs and all, you you will learn the language, you learn the framework. But you will not learn hum how to fix other human mistake by fixing something. We'll learn that, and I think that's the very big part in uh, development career. Because you, uh, you you will not 
it will be very few times we'll have a uh, luxury to to start a project from scratch we all it's an always 99% of time we will work on someone else's code try to fix something try to build something else so uh say so if you do anything it's a win win situation for both of the scenarios i have a i have a more on topic question <laughs> okay yeah go ahead so <laughs> please uh, uh Jose, what's interesting for me is uh i haven't upgraded to 16 any of my uh enterprise projects the, the, the stuff that i work at my regular job i upgraded something like my personal website or whatever but those are really small things and what's interesting to me is when you have a large application and with angular 16 uh, we have lots of new features uh not really like changes but really new things like required inputs and improved uh, server-side rendering and so on. Uh, so when you upgrade to Angular 16, in your experience, uh, what's the strategy of adopting these new things? Like, uh, which ones do you recommend to start with first? Which ones would you recommend to avoid, for example? Okay. Um, well. Um, when upgrading any, any Angular application, uh, first is to see what features do you really consider useful for this application. For example, I would love to have signals on certain parts of of, of the enterprise app just to, for example, try to. I'm not saying this is the best strategy to do it, but to to make a certain state management in a extremely used uh, easy way, just like Angular JS uh, root scope, when you modified a variable and placed it on the root scope, and it was available for all the application. Signals, uh, signals sign, uh, from for my taste work and. Um, in that way, or in are, are really near the Angular JS root scope uh, way of working. There's a variable that's that's changed somewhere, and another, in another place you can you can retrieve its value without making many effort or having a state management library. That's one of the uses I, I will I will I would love to see in in this Angular uh, enterprise application, and use signals for it will be great. It will really simplify many 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 tasks that are are done injecting behavior subjects in a wrong way or subscribing or over subscribing to certain events. That will be really great. But the question is, can you do it in a in a short uh, lapse of of time? Because uh, time is money. Um, time to market is is um, perhaps the the most important things for for CEOs, and they want their application to be online on the on the shortest time possible. So. Do, um, 
and and here I'm go I'm going back to the to the first question we we were talking about that is it worth it? Is it worth all the effort that that may may imply making this huge Angular version upgrade? Because most of the application is not thought to be used using signals. Uh, may may probably not be set to be um, uh, developed using a standalone component. I'm going there to Angular 15, and and there are many many things that that the development flow would have dragged as um, uh, as a probable technical depth because things were not developed the right way. So, so the question is, do you really have to be on, on, on the bleeding edge? And, I, and I'm talking about the bleeding edge because uh, the edge, if it, if it's, uh, if it's like a knife, it will cut, and if you cut yourself, you will bleed. And that's the kind of pain uh, I think developers have to take in mind when making this kind of upgrades. That how much pain would you really have or how much time do you have to to invest doing these upgrades? Because you would probably do not need all those those nice features. And and that and that's the question. And, and if if you really want to upgrade to 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 a latest Angular version, um Try, try to make it gradually. Um, until that point that you you can't really do anymore. So try to try to make your 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 first your first upgrades to the to the Angular uh, sixteen library. See, uh, hopefully there were no libraries. Uh, legacy libraries that will cause any problems, so you can keep on going, make it run, see, okay, I can upgrade this, I can make my inputs required for this component, and and see what kind of features are really needed or will be uh, nice to have, and try to to be upgrading it on a on a gradual on a step by step. And how much time will this take? That was another another question on the on, on when we started. Um, yeah. It can it can become a a huge new project by itself. I mean, this is so this are... is changing all, all the the application to to another way of of defining your components or using some attributes. Or properties or whatever. They are more on the conservative side of the things. Like, let's be careful and uh, which is completely understandable for me. Uh, although I wanted to discuss more uh, hypothetical, like let's say I already upgraded to Angular 16. Let's say I have a big project. I upgraded. Uh, I didn't do any changes. Whatever needed 
fixing. I fixed and essentially the project hasn't changed. But now I'm on version 16, so I have all these new features that I can use. And some of them aren't as revolutionary as signals, which are in developer preview yet. So uh, I wouldn't want to use them in production uh, ready code bases anyway. But I have some other new features. Uh, and my question is more about like, which of these features, in your opinion, would be easier to adopt and most useful in that scenario? Okay. Um, perhaps um, perhaps aiming towards the, the inputs on, on most components, trying to use uh, the, the input transformers or the required input tag, that that will simplify in in a certain way how how components are defined and how they are used on the application. That that will be a kind of easy task to do. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, we had also this pattern of uh, where developers wrote like getters, setters for inputs. Uh, I, I guess it would be quite. It would not be too hard to remove that logic and just use the input transformer function. So yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, and what about the routing info binding with components? That's a harder one, right? Yeah, yeah, harder one because mo- mostly because um, when something like that was required, at least in our project, um, it was solved using some kind of workaround. I mean, taking, for example, the the router object, um, <laughs> turning it into a JSON and parse it and take some custom properties that were not really meant for that, but uh, they, they were used and it worked. So it's it's not the best way of, of solving a problem, but but in most cases, um, what what uh, what the CEO or, or CTO wants to see is that if there was a problem, it was solved, and I don't really care much how, how it how it was solved, but I, I, I wanted it to be solved, and it will be the architect or or a team leader that that would try to stop these bad practices from being applied? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I felt that. I Actually, about the routing thing, when we talk about signals, I guess if we get uh, signal inputs in the future, which we probably will, it's in the RFC anyway. When we get that, we will also... Now, that would be a big blow to RxJS because not in the sense that we will stop using it, but with with routing info being bound to uh, inputs and inputs that are now signals in the future, uh, you just won't need 
Yeah, like you probably won't need the router in the component unless you are doing like navigation or whatever manually. Like all the info you just can bind to a signal and you will both receive the updates, uh, like if you want an effect or a computed property or whatever. And you will also receive, like you, you will be able to write an effect. And you sort of can do that now with engine on changes, but it just doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> it's for all, it's for all, for all input parameters, but with effects, you know, you would probably don't need engine changes at all. Well, another thing that that I guess every everyone or most of us are are waiting on on signals are the signal styled components where everything is is turned into a signal. Well, we can have signals like this. Uh, sorry, components like this right now. If you want, it's just that. Um, it's more about the change detection thing, yeah. which is, by the way, uh, like in the future, we talked about NGCC being removed, but you realize at some point in the future, they would want to remove ZoneJS. It is something that they explicitly said that we possibly, we are exploring ways and we now chose signals as the way of having granular change detection and not relying on ZoneJS. So if, for example, signals succeed, which they look likely to, because I haven't seen people hating on them. I've seen people contributing to ideas around them, which drives it like even further as an alternative. So if, if at some point everyone starts adopting signals, at some point, ZoneJS will become optional, like NG modules have, right? And uh, although, if I think about it, maybe in the future they will remove NG modules. I just don't see the need for that anyway, of removing NG modules. If at some point they realize no one is using NG modules anymore, then yeah, that, that's too far in the future. Not all the projects. There are lots of projects out there who cannot upgrade to version 13. Like, uh, it was funny for me because at some point, uh, when you were speaking, Kosa, you said, let's say a project that is on an old version, like 13. But from the perspective of lots of enterprise companies, 13 is fine. <laughs> yes. Lots of projects are on 13 or even 12 for it's that. Matter. New. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so if at some point they, uh, decide to, do the same thing with ZoneJS. Uh, if if signals become popular, everyone is using signals. Uh, most popular and important libraries have switched to signals, signal-based components. And at some point, they will gonna remove ZoneJS, right? And if ZoneJS is removed, again, this is very far in the future and not even a sure thing. Like maybe it won't happen. But let's say ZoneJS is removed, that's even a more catastrophic event than like yeah. throwing NGCC I, away. I think if that's the scenario that they, they might not do directly ZoneJS remove. Like the way what I can think of is all the variable will create it that will automatically on the build time will change to signals and you're referring them, they would handle it automatically. So what about... What about and libraries? 
Yes, yeah. About the libraries that yeah, that they, they will just have yeah, if they have built code that just has a uh, class properties, uh, like like we have now, but that we can just write I don't know this something equals whatever and it works. So they have code like that and they build it with a slightly older version of Angular. They don't care about signals, mm-hmm. and now this is perfectly valid code. I mean, it won't even fail in, on a build stage because whatever you have, you can't like you can't possibly go around and force developers to make all the properties of a class a signal. Uh, even even if you wanted to, you cannot because you have properties that are dependencies that are injected, right? Some other instances, so you can't have everything to be a signal. Some properties won't be signals. There is no way that the compiler can determine which one needs to be a signal and which one not. So if you build this library and you deliver it, it's perfectly valid code. And it will perfectly build with your Angular version that doesn't have Zone.js, let's say. And now you will you will build your project and you will run it and you will see and you will see like these components that you are using, but they won't they won't be very responsive to change detection. Like they will work whenever your signals trigger change detection in some parts, right? That is related. But if they have something internal, like for example, if you have a if you have a clock, right? It updates every second and you put this component and it is using Zone.js, but you don't have Zone.js. So now you can't be sure that it will be updated every second, right? If everything is a signal and you don't have Zone.js, if the user does not do anything that directly changes the state, that's what I'm saying. Well, I I once did an experiment of removing Zone from an Angular application. And, well, well, not removing Zone, but um, declaring declaring it as a no operation so it did, didn't do anything, and everything exploded, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, I can't remember. We, we were using ngx data tables, and all tables stopped working. And yeah, well, I understand everything. I, I mean, the the application became instantly uh, unresponsive to every event. So we said, um, no, not yet. Uh, you, uh, if you try to do that, uh, what you really need is, uh, you need to make everything an observable, well, well, or a signal at this point. Because you can use the async pipe, it's an impure pipe, so it will <laughs> trigger change detection by itself, depending on whatever. So without zone.js, this will continue to work. Something will subscribe there and see the change and will go like, please detect the changes. Same goes with signals. Uh, I tried to remove Zone.js in an app that has very limited functionality, and it kind of worked uh, without it. Uh, of course, it really depends. Like, if you use good libraries that all have change detection strategy on push, then you have no problem. Uh, using components from there. It's like, 
is the same as if they had signals before that. It will work in that way. But if you have something that is very stateful and it kind of updates itself, which for a third-party library, in my opinion, is kind of a red flag. I mean, I would want reusable components to have change detection strategy on push. And if it's on push, then it's no problem. Eh? Then it will just wait either for internal events or for input changes. Then there is no problem. We can use signals in our parent components and child components will just work however they used to work. Uh, that, that's because uh, if you have uh, noticed in the RFC, they say that if you mark in the future when they have signal-based components, if you mark it sig signals true, then uh, you can't even put change detection strategy on it because it completely relies on signals now. There is no point of having on push or not on push. It's essentially all just one granular state update thing. You don't have like an approach to it because it doesn't really rely on ZoneJS for updates. I'd like to propose something before we wrap things up. I realize that we have been talking for a while now, so I don't want to stretch things up too much. But um, I think I can try to give to the audience a more actionable step-by-step -step process for someone that uh, wants to upgrade um, a co-base to Angular 16, given everything that we talked about. So what I would do from a mix of my experience and also everything that we discussed here today in terms of step-by-step, step step, and then I would like all of you to uh, tell me at the end if there's anything that you would change maybe in the order of things or some step that I'm missing. But basically, I believe that the first thing that I would do is um, I would try to enable as many strict TypeScript and Angular flags as possible. So independent on the version that you're at, I don't care. If you're running Angular 6, I don't care. Like the first thing that I would do is I would enable as many strict flags on the TypeScript compiler and the Angular compiler as there are available in the current version that you're running. After that, I would uh, start migrating Angular and its library dependencies up until I reach a more recent version of Angular, let's say 12 or 13, that should be enough. So from below that up until 13, I would probably just focus on enabling as many strict compilation flags as possible and then slowly upgrading the Angular core and its third-party dependencies. Then from 13 to 16, I would still um, I would still enable any strict flags that were released in the newest versions of TypeScript and Angular. But I would also um, have an effort to modularize everything or remove modules entirely. If you if your plan is to do that, then you can just go to um, now, I don't recall when was the version that we got standalone components, but wh whichever version it was, then you can just go to that version and then you just remove 
all the ng modules. But if you want to use ng modules, I would start modularizing everything and making sure that all the module dependencies are imported only where where they are needed to, so that you make all the dependencies explicit in every single module. Then after that, I would try to migrate. If you have an intention of using Angular Signals, I would try to migrate things to OnPush as much as possible, at least the most critical parts of the application. And then I would do the upgrades. And I believe that given that structure, it would be way easier for you to upgrade the code base. So this is kind of like my version of, it's not conservative because I'm still pushing towards the, the edge, but I am doing that in the most conservative way possible, which is what is the least amount of, in, in how many PRs can I break this process? Let me break into as many as I can. You know, so if I can have 30 PRs to get to the end, that's what I'm going to do instead of just having one PR per version upgrade. Um, but yeah, I think that's mostly what I would do and also upgrade the third-party dependencies as we go. So for any of you that is listening and trying to come up with a step-by-step approach, maybe try that. Um, and for your use case, maybe there are some other things that you would like to add or change the order. But I think that for me, and I have done updates on legacy code bases a few times, that has been the general guideline that I followed. Yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty good approach. Uh, uh, one of the funny approach I can say, like, have a weekend hackathon and uh, give everyone Red Bull pizza and just ask them whoever will do <laughs> will win some prize and believe me it will be done in uh, two days. That's like the uh, the opposite side. Opposite. Mine yeah. is like what is the most conservative way to get to the edge? Yeah. And Subret's suggestion is like what is the most <laughs> go Weakest fast way, break yeah. things. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but jokes aside, like, yeah, uh, you, your points are valid. I think Santa can give a, a point here, like, what his thoughts on it. Oh, well, I I agree with Subrat approach. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a brute force, uh, compile, destroy, yeah. reverse, compile again, destroy again, and it, it will require... It perhaps requires a lot of effort because you will be triggering all bugs at once. You're you're not uh, you're not as following uh, Lucas Lucas approach that's um, um, quite structured and it it will certainly avoid most explosions on your code before trying to compile again. But I, I I'm on. I'm with Subrat here that hey, try to do it as a hackathon, yeah. try to do it as fast as you can, uh, identify your problems, solve them, and it will be a, a kind of um, not not organized, but it will it will certainly add some adrenaline to your development process. 
guys, please invite me to those hackathons. Like, <laughs> that's the kind of shit that I, I would love to do in a weekend. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Um, we talked about a lot, a lot today. And I've also contributed to some off-topic things. So sorry about that. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it was really good. The things that we, we talked about in terms of whoever is working in an enterprise app and looking for a path to upgrade to the edge version of things. Um, I think there's a lot of insights in this episode that are going to be helpful for you in this journey. And even to convince management that it, it can be uh, a safe path or safer path. And it can also be a very fun hackathon if you're into that. So yeah, I think we covered technical tips and also how to convince your manager that this is a good idea. Um, so let's start wrapping things up and let's just do our promos. So Santa, uh, what we do at the end of each episode is we mention the things that we're working on that we would like to to introduce to the audience and well kind of this is our place to to try to sell something basically <laughs> and tell what's going on on our side of things so i'm gonna go first just to give you some time to think about what would you like to say um so in my case i'm just gonna promote my company Envoid. so we are 100 percent focused on everything angular related i'm talking training, vetting candidates, staff augmentation, or if you want to, then full-on project outsourcing. So if you have any needs uh, in your company related to Angular, either you want help hiring uh, new developers for your company, or you don't even want the trouble of hiring, you just want people as fast as possible to help you on it, then be sure to contact me. You can simply go to unvoid.com and there you will have uh, a button in which you can just schedule a meeting directly with me. So yeah, it's as simple as that. Um, so yeah, this is going to be my promo for today. And Senta, would you like to, to tell us what you're working on? What would you like to promote? Well, um... I'm working on a health uh, platform project for for a company. Well, I, I recently changed my job. So when, when this article was written, I was working in another company. But uh, here we're working on a, on a health platform application. It's actually on Angular 13. And they're planning to upgrade it to Angular 15 not 16, 15. And I know what what kind of pains they they will face because I already passed through that. And I I just just seeing the code, I, I see hey, this this is going to have some problems or well everything. Uh, but it's kind of interesting and entertainment for for being there and collaborating with their code. And just to promote myself, um, I invite every, everyone that 
that's interested in Angular or any other uh, full stack topics to visit the the to to look at look for my medium site at jsantacl.medium.com. There's where I, I, I usually write. And most of my latest articles have been Angular related. So if if you want to read a little a little about that and spend some time and give me some claps, that would be nice. Definitely. All right. We'll put the, those links in the show notes. Awesome. Um, Armin, how about you? Oh, I don't have anything to sell. <laughs> I will. I will do a promotion next month. Everybody still curious. Uh, eventually, you're gonna tell everyone what you're cooking up. I already yeah. know, or do I? I don't know. But, anyways, it's gonna be big news. Yeah. How about you, Sabret? Yes. So finally, I'm back again to posting videos. So I just posted one video today. Um, it means when you are recording, while you are listening, it might be one week or two weeks ago. But yeah, I'm back again. I'm kind of promising myself to put every week a video. That's uh, I'm dealing. I know that. But now I will focus focus on that and started scheduling some guests for my podcast. Uh, I think Lucas, you, you are the first one. I think second one, I am trying to trying to send mails, emails for to some people. Let's hope I'll get back and most probably be on track again. That's my yeah, promotion again. So go ahead and check uh, one of heuristic YouTube channel. And give some comments. Awesome. All right. Okay. Uh, thanks, everyone. This was a really interesting discussion. Uh, Santa, love to have you on the show. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for all the insights and the time that you took to study all this and bring your experience to us. It was highly valuable. And I think it was also valuable to a lot of people listening to the show. So thank you. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. All right, everyone, have a great week, and we'll see you in the next episode.